This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We've got a very special guest with us today. Today we're joined by Dr. Diego Ijano. And Dr. Ijano is at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. He's a pediatric infectious disease expert. Uh, He's a member there at St. Jude's. He's also originally from a small area in Argentina and went to medical school in Buenos Aires. Brilliant researcher, brilliant physician. Thrilled to have him with us. He's going to talk to us today about sort of COVID-19 research, what he does, long-term impact on children. Uh, what will the ongoing fight uh, uh, with COVID-19 look like? Dr. Iano, can you take a moment to, uh, Diego, to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your research? Yeah, sure. I'm really happy to. Thank you, Scott, for having me. So, so as you mentioned, I'm a, a pediatric infectious disease physician here at St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm originally from Argentina. I did uh, med, med school and, and pediatric residency there. And, and while I was doing my residency, that's where my interest in research Started, and it was on 2009, you know, when the H1N1 pandemic hit us. Uh, and I began my, my, my journey on respiratory viruses. I, do, I did clinical research in Argentina and then uh, seek an opportunity to come to the U.S. To, to advance my knowledge in basic research. So I came 10 years ago, a little over 10 years, to the vaccine center in Vanderbilt University. Um, and then finally made my way to St. Jude over seven years ago to do my infectious disease fellowship and stay here as faculty. And, and you know, I, I'm a physician, as you said, at first hand, I take care of patients day in and day out. Um, I also have a research program uh, that focuses on, on respiratory viruses, in, in, especially in immunocompromised patients, which is what we have at St. Jude. And then for, for during the last two years, uh, as many of ID physicians have done, I took on another role um, as part of the um, uh, leading the COVID-19 mitigation uh, program at St. Jude as the Deputy Medical Director for Occupational Health. Fantastic. And talk about, Dr. Iano, what a magnificent career. Just before we get into the discussion of COVID-19, what it looks like and some of the lessons learned, what are you most focused on and excited about this year? Where, where are you spending your time? What are you most excited about? Um, so uh, to me, the most exciting part of, of where we are in, 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 in professionally and thinking of COVID-19 over the last two years, it's, you know, um, how much we've learned and how much are we improving our tools to to, to prevent and to treat and to help people with, with this really uh, very uh, bad uh, disease that we have uh, dealt over the last two years. So I'm excited about all the opportunities that are coming every day for us to, to help people through from, from vaccination to prevent the disease, but also to, to be able to offer treatment for those who actually get infected. Thank you. And what are some of the key lessons from COVID and its impact on children now there's some long-term lessons here. Yeah, you know, I think um, to me it has been very important to to understand that that things uh, have evolved very fast. Uh, and 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 you know, if you remember uh, two years ago, people were saying kids are not affected by COVID-19, and it has been hard sometimes to get the message out for some people who still say that oh, this is a, a very minor thing, will not take my my child or, or affect it. And and I think um, from our key lesson is that 
um, things evolve and we need to adjust and communicate better because certainly we learn that kids can still do better than adults in terms of severe disease and complications, but for the most part, they can get uh, very sick and have complications. Um, and, you know, we're still learning a lot about what is this long COVID and the medium-term consequences that can also affect kids. To me, one of the key aspects is how much beyond uh, the infection, uh, this has affected kids at a social and psychological level, you know, between like lockdowns and, and virtual school and, and this kind of ongoing uh, messaging of what to do in terms of mask, no mask, and, and everything kind of uh, takes a, a different perspective. So to me, I think it's, it's very, very important to look at uh, how we can communicate with, with, with families uh, uh, about every aspect of health, but particularly, you know, COVID-19 has brought up a, a perspective of how unprepared as physicians we are to, to communicate beyond the, 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 the patient we have in front of us, um, what, how things have changed and, and what's best for, for each of them. And, and, and take a moment, sort of COVID-19, what is your sense, Dr. Ihano? Is this going to be with us forever, Dr. Diego? Or is this going to be something that is going to be less of a concern over the next couple of years? We just saw this massive surge in January, uh, you know, and then sort of went, you know, got better. And what's the long term of this look like? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, you know, it's been very hard to predict, and uh, certainly a lot of, of, of us are debating whether we will have this sort of endemicity where this will become a, an every year virus versus um, we will keep seeing these sort of like waves as we had the Delta and the Omicron more lately. And it's still uh, unclear, but um, the problem, you know, is that we are in a in a worldwide, in a, in a moment where we're still um, in, a, in a place where we are favoring the virus to change because we have a lot of dis dis disparities in vaccination. So a lot of people remain susceptible to be infected and that's what allowed the virus to change and become more difficult to, to address. So I think we are still in a kind of level alert where we don't know if by the summer we will be seeing another surge with another body. Currently we are in a in a kind of trending down uh, of the Omicron and nothing is on the on the horizon. But we all are worried and have learned from the past two years that we shouldn't let ourselves, our guard down, and we should remain vigilant and make sure that if there are new variants coming in, that we, we prepare better. And, and, and does it make it harder for the world to battle the virus is you have conflict throughout the world. As conflict escalates throughout the world, does it make it much harder to get everybody vaccinated, everybody on the same page, or or, or try and combat a virus, or, or or does it not necessarily have an impact? Oh, it has a lot of impact. You know, I mean, these these uh, measures to to control these type of infections work better uh, when everyone is on board. You know, like you can think from from a very small community like a county uh, or a state or a country and definitely worldwide. So we've learned that we are connected. And, and you know, uh, back in the day when we had the Spanish flu, I mean, it took a, a, a boat from, from coming from Europe to America to bring the virus. Now, you know, I mean, it's a day and you are like from one part of the world to the other. And these things 
spread fast. So if you don't have a, a coalition of leaders together uh, with the same goal, definitely we are going to fail. And, and that's how we have been failing. Because, I mean, when you look at um, how much vaccination we have in, in some countries versus others, but even, you know, as I said, as a small community, I look at my, 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 my Shelby County, my local community here, and all the efforts we continue to do to work with our community to get vaccinated, we still have a lot of, of, of room to go, and we cannot get outside this of the community if there is conflict and people are not on board. And Diego, I guess the most important question today, and this is a challenging question, is there a better barbecue in Memphis or Argentina? <laughs> That's a great question, and without any doubts in Argentina. Um, I mean, the Memphis barbecue, and it's great, and it's something that every time I have family over, I, I go and, and, and share with people. But at the end of the day, in my house, I have a Argentinian-style grill, and I, 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 I try to get our Argentinian cats, and, you know, it goes very well with a, with a Malbec from, from, from Argentina. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask, I'm going to send you a text number, and I'm going to ask you to send me a picture, if you would, of the grill. I won't publish it, but I'd love to see what the Argentina grill looks like or if you could point me in the right direction. That sounds magnificent. One other question, and a healthcare question. When you talk to your friends overseas, whether you talk to your friends in Argentina or other places, other physicians, other non-physicians, how do they talk about the fight against COVID? What are some of their experiences versus our experiences? Can you can you share just a moment with us of some of that and how that discussion has gone with your friends overseas? Yeah, no, certainly, and and you know we, I keep in touch with with my friends over there, and and as you say, some of them are on the medical field and some of them are not, and certainly all my family and my wife's family is there, so we've been very much following how uh, the thing has unfolded in Argentina, and 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 obviously some similarities and and some discrepancies, but to me the most striking part of it is is this, you know. Um, 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 hot topics surrounding vaccination. You know, this um, I still surprised on, on how many people here in the U.S. do not really realize that the vaccine hesitancy movement here in this country is significantly higher than what we see across other countries, where it's almost small to non-existent in the vast, in the vast majority. And, and what happened in Argentina was kind of the other way around. People were trying to come to the U.S. to get vaccinated because they couldn't have access to vaccines over there. Um, and and you know it was quite uh, interesting. They would reach out to me and say, "Can I? What 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 can I do? How can I travel? Where can I get my vaccine? What type of vaccine can I get over there?" Uh, and I definitely, when we got rolled vaccines and people were looking at us, uh, everyone was trying to come and get vaccinated. Um, so certainly they have a lot of uh, uh, problems with lockdowns and and masks and and those type of things that we have also experienced in other countries. So that's kind of the similarity. Um, and the healthcare system has also been quite strained. Um, but, you know, to me, the most uh, striking is kind of how the vaccination uh, played out so opposite here and there. Yeah, no, so fascinating. I mean, you must be fascinating to watch both how it plays out in different states within the country, different areas within the country, and then different countries within the world. I mean, it must be a fascinating perspective for you as an infectious disease researcher to look at this and physician to look at this and say, there's so many differences both within the United States itself and probably the big cities and small cities in the U.S. 
plus in other countries? It must be a fascinating perspective. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, uh, a lot of multidisciplinary uh, uh, things happen. You know, you have such a social and political and economical and scientific aspect. And I think that, that that's why we have failed and continue to fail on addressing this problem, because it doesn't really, it, it takes much more than just one individual person knowing the science or one person uh, pushing the a political or an economic plan. It just takes everyone to get together and, and, and kind of as a coalition address the problem. I mean, we've, we've been trying to work with our community level uh, to, to give good information and to use our employees to share information with their families and friends and to spread the word. But I think to me, if anything I learned from, from, from all these experiences that we need to get better training and how to communicate beyond um, the patient to, to large communities. You know, I go on Twitter, try to force myself to do, to spread good information for people. It stresses me out and people laugh at me like, how can you be stressed about Twitter? But, you know, it's just putting myself out there for, for people to try to, to access good information and to communicate beyond what I do with my patient day, day in and day out here. And I think that we are not really well prepared to do that and, and should be part of, of our training moving forward. It's like how to effectively communicate uh, through social media and through uh, populations to, to be able to help. Dr. Ihano, Diego, thank you so much for joining us. What a, what a pleasure to visit with you and hear your story and your perspective and some of the thoughts for pediatrics and just your, your brilliance. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Becker Self Care Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me.